but you're going. Yeah. Okay, we're going. Four. We're off and running. So, welcome back. I, I, as I was trying to tell him, and I will talk with Bud about the fact that once you get set up, you know, I publish these things, and you can go on to, you should be able to go. Bud doesn't even do it. He goes right to it and picks it out. I don't send it to him or anything. So there is a way yeah. I will find yeah, it out. Yeah. And I will say, so if you want to re-listen to something because you took notes or you couldn't, you know, I talked too fast or whatever, you know, or, you know, or you want to report me to the Southern Baptist Convention, whatever. <laughs> so um, you got the evidence right there. I'm giving it to you. Well, so <laughs> no oversight committee anymore. <laughs> we just need cold bodies. I mean, warm bodies. Anyway, um, <clears throat> to, you know, we've been talking about, um, the Feast of Trumpet and how, you know, this is kind of really like to me a, our own courtroom, you know, in a sense that we're trying to lay out the evidence to whether or not there's actually enough evidence to say that, yes, there's something to the rapture. There is something to the idea that there's the, the body of Christ is taken out before the tribulation. I keep telling everybody that believes in the rapture that most of the Christian community outside of uh, those that are in their own little shell believe this is a false doctrine, and then it was started back in the 1800s, and we've been over that several times, and, you know, so forth and so on. And, and to that, I might say this, you know, um, um, as we study even the Feast, and this is the one that comes to my mind the, the quickest, and that is in the Feast of Tabernacle. You know, there's a lot of things that are actually being done in the temple that you can't just go and say, well, there it is right there. We're supposed to do this and we're supposed to do that, you know. And one, for example, is the water-pouring ceremony that took place during the Feast of Tabernacle. And so when you go and you read about the uh, in Numbers and various places where that uh, one of the services about the slaying of the 70 bulls is mentioned, in the Hebrew Scripture there were three additional letters that were inscribed above the Hebrew wording in Numbers. And, and when you took those three word, uh, letters out, you know, it actually spelled the word Mayim, which was the word for water. And so in later development in the services being given to uh, David by the Spirit that you get in Chronicle, you know, and uh, that they began in time to develop that God wanted them to accentuate the ceremony of the water pouring. And so that water pouring ceremony really developed as time went by. It wasn't known in the very beginning. They didn't do it in the... Uh, when they were doing the, uh, had the uh, tabernacle in the wilderness or any of that, or even when they first went into the land. It was developing over time. And we know that Jesus could have come and struck all of these things down, but instead we read over there where it says in John seven thirty seven that Jesus stood and said on the last and greatest day of the feast, he stood and he said that, um, you know, the, the wells of living water. Any man who thirsts, let him come to me, and wells of living water will pour from an utter, uttermost being. And he, he knows that those ceremonies were present. 
And so, you know, in his own way, he gave a stamp of approval, you know, of what was, you know, that these things had spiritual meaning is my point. He didn't shoot them down. He said, well, they're just doing a bunch of foolish stuff. He actually gave you something that said, well, it's a spiritual significance. And we can look down the road now on this side of the cross and we can see that when God says in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh, the water pouring is God pouring out his spirit on all flesh. And it will come in the messianic kingdom. So there are spiritual meanings behind these ceremonies. So I say all that to say that we, we, we look at the horn and the, the blowing of the shofar and, you know, we can say this and we can say that, but, uh, you know, what does it mean? You know, how do we, how did it develop in their minds? And, and to me, I always say their minds is really important to me because they were not infiltrated with, you know, uh, a lot of what I call modern doctrine. You know, they, they had a, a, a in their writings and in, in their, as the sages that they understood that the, that the blowing of the shofar had a significance, and especially when it was attached to one of these appointed times, which are, I always say, these are the big boys. God says, I got seven big boys, and here they are, and they're going to be significant events that are going to affect all of humanity. And, that, and that's what these events are. And, you, of course, we always say it's easy to see the first coming now that it's passed. You know, we see and we read in Acts and the day of Pentecost had fully come and, you know, boom, you know, the Holy Spirit falls. And then people began receiving. So all of that stuff was being laid out prior to 1,500 years. It was being developed. And so, you know, just because something wasn't known by the so-called early church fathers, doesn't mean it isn't so. So I say all that to continue to uh, make my case in a sense that, you know, um, does, does do the, the emphasis of certain uh, aspects of these, uh, like Rosh Hashanah, do they make our case? Can they lead us to understanding that this is a true doctrine, okay? That it is actually something that is a part of our hope. That um, when God said that you're not appointed to wrath, well, what does that mean? You know, well, there are some of us among us that believe that God's going to supernaturally protect the believers, you know, through the tribulation. And then I always say to that, well, I guess some of them got their heads cut off, so that's not the kind of protection I'm looking for. <laughs> and that that's just, you know, that, that thinking doesn't hold in light of Scripture about the events that you see before you in the book. And it's got to fit. I mean, you can't, you can't say, well, you know, that doesn't work. Well, if it doesn't work, there's something wrong. Something wrong with, with your thinking. There's something wrong with the doctrine. Uh, there's something wrong. So, you know, our, our case really here is to try to say, well, if we get led to the fact that we shouldn't be thinking about it, well, get ready, we're going in. You know, whether you like it or not, you know, this is going to be decided, right? And hopefully we're alive to see it. <clears throat> hopefully. <laughs> so let's turn to Leviticus 23 and let's uh, pick up, and this is, I'll show you how something gets developed in this, in Leviticus 23, verse 23, which is the... Uh, 
they're, they're giving you the actual feasts that are coming forth here. And it says, uh, Then the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the children of Israel, saying, In the seventh month, on the first day of the month. Well, when we say Tishrei, that's the seventh month. So, you know, hopefully, Leviticus 23, verse 23, that your mind begins to understand that you don't you you're, you should be deciphering this in your mind. Oh, seventh month, Tishrei, very important month. You know, you don't need to be re-educated. Hopefully, over and over and over and over again, that you don't understand the significance when you see this somewhere else in the Bible. You should tie all of these pearls, string them together because these dates are very significant. Okay, so it goes on to say that. On the first day of the, of, of the of first seventh month, you shall have a Sabbath rest, a memorial, a blowing of trumpets, a holy convocation. Now, in in most cases, we would probably, from a, a English perspective, you know, we would read that and, um, well, how would you and how does it impact your mind when you say memorial? What does that mean? Okay, so. If you have an English vocabulary, you know, it's attached to remembrance, okay? So this is the development of what is called the Day of Remembrance, which is one of the key themes of Rosh Hashanah. One was the fact that the blowing of the shofar, and then they're going to move into what the Day of Remembrance and the impact that this is going to have on this particular feast. You know, in other words, we're going to try to look and see exactly how that uh, language is developed. So, you know, technically, you know, think about it like this. That when you see this word, and now you would not necessarily see it in the English, but you would see it in the Hebrew. If you took and you went into a Hebrew lexicon and you took the number and you put it in there to your cross-reference, you would be able to see every verse in the Bible that they use that particular word. And things would come up. And then you wouldn't have to be a genius and know the Bible. You, the computer does it for you, basically. And, um, you know, but it, you're going to begin to develop the theme that it's actually covenant language that the zikor or zakor in Hebrew that means remembrance or memorial is a covenant language type word. And you'll see that as we, we develop this. So, you know, look at it like this. For God, he is always loyal to his covenant. Would you all agree? Yep. Yes. Well, we better hope so. <laughs> right? For us... If we choose to forget, then we're not loyal to our covenant. We made a covenant when we stood before him and got married. We made a covenant before God, for better or for worse. That's all his fun and games in the beginning, you know? Richer or poor? You know, they had different meanings later on in life. They changed the language on us, you know? But uh, the reality is, is we made a covenant that's supposed to be a binding company, and, and there, you know, I don't want to beat on those that didn't make it and got divorced because there's many reasons why people do get divorced. You know, so, you know, and in a world we're living in, it seems like there's a lot of reasons. So, you know, um, bottom line is, is that we, we are called to not break the covenant. 
We're in, we, you know, we say, well, I'm in the new, we're in the new covenant. You know, well, no, you're in the new covenant. I'm in the new covenant. The covenant is not all of us, it's between you and God. That when you said, I believe and I believe in Jesus and I want to walk in his ways, I felt like there was a guy over here saying, well, let's go over that before you make a full commitment. <laughs> I can tell you, son, you're not going to do it, you know, because I, I didn't keep my end. I forgot the covenant. You know, as I grew up, you know, I, I began to go back into the world and, you know, all of a sudden you feel like, well, you know, all these stories and parables of the prodigal son, well, that's written of me, you know, and probably of all of us, you know, but... Um, you know, the bottom line is God is faithful through this. You know, even though we forgot, I praise God for, for some reason, you know, awakening my soul when he did and put me on the journey because I just don't know. You know, I feel, I, I feel spiritually secure. I don't care what happens. I believe that I'm going to heaven or I'm going to be uh, brought back out of the grave and I'm going to live, you know, uh forever with eternal life hopefully with my entire family and wife <laughs> he's putting us in the cooler you know already you know no not really no you're doing good you know just keep it up keep, keep me cool keep me cool you know so let, let's turn over Leviticus 26 and tonight I'm out of a new King James so maybe I'll have some continuity in some of my stuff. 26, 26? Yeah, Le uh, Leviticus 26, verse 40. 40. 40. Le Leviticus 26, verse 40. But if they confess their iniquity and their iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me and that, that, and that they also have walked contrary to me and that I also have walked contrary to them, and I have brought them into the land of the enemy. If their circumcised heart are humbled, and they accept their guilt, then I will remember my covenant with Jacob, and my covenant uh, with Isaac, and my covenant with Abraham, I will remember. And that word is zakor. You know, it's going to be the same word as, you're seeing it easily translated there, remember it. That he will, but there were conditions there. If they will humble themselves and they will turn away from their evil acts, in other words, repentance, people say, well, all you got to do is believe. No, you got to repent and turn, and then God is, He's there waiting to receive you, but you can't keep living in sin willingly and think that you've been changed by the will of the Holy Spirit. That's not. Robert, you know, tell me, you, that's not, I'm not saying it's not possible that a guy gets a little, you know, turned, but those are the people that don't really have what we call a, a I would think, a um, a real transformation at the, in the beginning. You know, there are those that, you know, I, 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 one of the guys that worked for me said that, you know, he's got a, a fella, he was in prison, he, you know, uh, this and that, but he's a dynamic, uh, he had a change and a repentance and came to Christ, and he's a, Soul winning guy, you know, he, you know, in the ministry. And that's very possible, but it doesn't always happen that way, right? So, you know, repentance is a, a necessary thing. And God says that he'll, you know, when they do this, he will remember every one of these covenants that he made 
with the forefather. So that's very important because that really is a part of the story when we get into the end of days. So let's go to Acts 17. And remembering the covenant is one aspect of this day. In Acts 17, and I like to kind of pull some stuff out of the New Testament because people say, you're, a, you're an Old Testament teacher, aren't you? No, not really. I thought I was both. <laughs> but because uh, I believe they're tied together. I'm a joiner. I don't believe they're split apart. I think we've split them apart, but that, you know, they're joined together, but you just need to see the language. Um, if you get to verse 24, it says, Therefore, the one whom you worship... Without knowing him, I proclaim to you. And this is Paul dealing with the in, in uh, Athens with the unknown God, or Mars Hill. He says, God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything, since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their uh, pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their habitations so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are all also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think that the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something shaped by art and man's devising. Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now command, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. Who did he leave out? Nobody, all men, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained, and he has given assurance to this by, to all by raising him from the dead. Who's the man that got raised from the dead? Jesus. Okay, so, you know, the resurrection, you know, is the surety of the fact that God is God, he created all things, and he has appointed a day that he is going to judge the world and all men in it. So, the day of judgment becomes a, you know, a, a part of the theme that we're developing here because the day of judgment then has to be, you have to ask yourself, and we've talked about this, well, what day is that? You know, since there's an appointed time, we should be, is, is it Passover? Well, that really doesn't fit, you know. And, you know, Pentecost? Well, not really. But so when you get into the fall festival, you're going to have three particular festivals that deal with the second coming of Christ, which would also entail that this is going to be a time that these judgments are going to come forth. We look in Revelations and we see the judgments of God over the whole world, right? So the day of the Lord and the day of judgment has to have 
a beginning point. And if you read in a Jewish literature, whether it be Chabad or Jewish Encyclopedia or whatever, they're going to tell you that this day is Rosh Hashanah. So if Rosh Hashanah is the day of judgment, then how does that break out? I mean, what's going to happen? How is there more information? And I'll tell you, yes, there is, that the day of judgment will begin on Rosh Hashanah. But we also have made a point to establish that as you go into the so-called seven years of tribulation and Jesus returns on Yom Kippur, then we can't ignore the fact that Yom Kippur is also going to be attached to the Day of Judgment. Now, in a lot of circles, you're going to see that the fall festivals collectively are called the Feast of the Seventh Month, of the Seventh month because they're all connected you know one is bearing on another you know they're just like we saw in the spring festival you, you you saw how the slaughtering of the lamb was connected to the supper and you saw the supper and was connected to the resurrection from the dead and then 40 you know they were all connected and that's why we say when we talk about that we say that in the spring festivals you got passover it takes you to pentecost and from that point what, what, what could we say is very significant in the terminology about Pentecost? And that is that it was the promise of the Father that the kingdom of God would be restored. So when I hear a sermon on people saying that when Peter and them say, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom back to Israel? You know, and people say, oh, well, they just really couldn't understand, you know, and they 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 do this, what I call negative thing. No, it was the most brilliant question of all because he didn't say, you know, come on, Peter, how long have you been with me? He said, for you know, know the hour or the day that that really is God's business, but what he's really telling you is the kingdom of God was going to be restored on that day of Pentecost. It wasn't in its fullness because, see, with Pentecost, is the beginning of the harvest. That's when the harvest begins, you know, and it goes all the way to the fall festivals and the uh, final harvest. So Pentecost is also connected to the fall festival due to the fact that this is when it began. You know, the souls, in a sense, that are coming into the righteousness, they're all starting to come in. But there's going to be a final harvest at the end of the age. So, you know, when you break it all down, yeah, you can look at them individually, and yeah, you can look at the first coming, but they're all connected. They're everyone connected, but you may not see that connection unless you dwell in it for, you know, and seek. And, you know, God shows you things that you go, wow, I can't believe that's there. But, uh, you know, bear that in mind and just try not to forget that. So let's go. And see this in 1 Corinthians 3, since we're over here. I mean, 1 Corinthians 3, 13. I guess I better say that to myself. Um, <clears throat> And if you read this and you, you look at the context, 
You're going to be seeing the language of, you know, the, the wise and master builder and has laid a foundation, and that foundation is Messiah. But let, uh, let each one take heed how he builds on it. Verse 11, for no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ, the Messiah. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, and hay, and straw, each one's work will become manifest for, and you see in the New King James, they put a capitalization on the day. Does yours? Yes. Oh, they don't want you to know. They don't want you to see oh, yeah. it. Capital day. <laughs> but it says, for the day will declare it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. If anyone's work which he has built on it endures, he will receive a reward. Now, you know, you see there that whether people like it or not, you could say, well, well, what's the reward? Well, there are many different crowns that are given out. I know that we can read through the scriptures on um, I think four to be exact, but I, I'm not positive on that. But um, if it said verse 15, it says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Do you not know that you are the temple of God and that the Spirit of God dwells in you? And if anyone defiles the temple of God, God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, which tem at which temple you are. And I would tell you he's making a point that every man is the temple of God. Everybody. And you know that because God gave everyone life. We kind of just read that, right? But when those come to Christ and they begin to build on that foundation of the gospel of how does one receive eternal life, the work that we're doing is going to be based upon a particular part of what he's saying here that your life is going to be judged for what you did with the gift that God gave you, and that gift is he gave you life. Everybody. That's why you see at the end of the book, when we look at the great white throne judgment, they're being raised up, and they're being raised up and judged based upon their works and their deeds. And we will be judged upon for our works and our deeds, but, you know, in our case, which I hope for you to see in 2 Corinthians 5.10, if you'll just turn over there. Because, you know, oh, no, 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 we're not, no, we're not. It's got to be the work for God, not, not for, for one's own gratification, right? Yeah, yeah. Verse uh, uh, 10. Therefore, I'm going to start verse 9. Therefore, we make it our aim, whether present or absent, to be well-pleasing to him, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that each one may receive the things done in the body, <laughs> you know, according to what he has done, whether good or bad. We can always take, take that bad out, you know. No, don't do that. Don't do that. Knowing, therefore, the terror of the Lord, we persuade men, but we, we are well known to God, and also trust are well known to your in your conscience. For we do not command ourselves again to you, but give you opportunity to, to glory on our behalf, that you may have something to answer those who glory in appearance and not in heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God, and it's for if 
or if we are of sound mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ constrains us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, and those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. And, you know, really what this is saying, and I'm sure you can understand it yourself, that, you know, okay, so you're going to claim that now you're going to appear before the judgment seat of Christ, and when when is that going to happen? Well, I would tell you that's going to happen, and this is my opinion, that that's going to happen on this day, because it's going to be attached to that. That when you, if this day comes and it's on Rosh Hashanah and the dead in Christ are raised and the those left alive, there's going to be a judgment that we're going to endure, you know, because we get a clue that when Jesus returns back to the earth at the end of the seventh year, that on his head is it says many crowns. Because we, being smart, as we're like Christ, we realized our crowns weren't, you know, if it weren't for Christ, we wouldn't do anything. So I think we gratefully lay our crowns down and, you know, we give him all the glory. Because really, don't, you know, if, if everything in the Spirit, by the Spirit of God that we do that is enduring, then it's really not by our own works. It's through the work that he's doing through us. And recognizing that allows you to be free from a lot of things that want to entrap you, but, you know, Yes, you're, you know, on Jim's point, the, the beam of judgment or the judgment seat of Christ is when those that are righteous are judged for reward. I think that the talent parable is really dealing with this. It's not money. It's you're the works that you did. When you came to Christ from that day forward, were you the guy that, you know, went and got, you know, had five talents and you doubled it and you went out, you know, it kind of on the surface looks like, well, gosh, are they just working, 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 you know, and trying to double everything? Or is it really emphasizing the fact that, you know, we're all given different gifts, you know, and we're all at certain levels. And, you know, some people, none of y'all in this room, so you don't have this excuse, they're just not smart. For some reason, God did not, whether it be at birth, their brain was shut off from oxygen, but they're just not, you know, they're just not able to comprehend some of the stuff that we're even talking about. That doesn't mean they can't be a five-star player for Christ, but it'll be what God has given them to do, and I think God's given us something to do in all of our lives. And, you know, we'll either do it or we won't, but if we don't, it doesn't mean that we get kicked out. It just means that we'll suffer loss, like it said. We should have. But we didn't, for whatever reason. And that's been a big motivating, you know, thing in my life, you know, especially in my early days, you know. Uh, uh, I didn't, I didn't want to not do what God called me to do. And, um, uh, and that's a struggle, and it's a journey, and I'm sure every one of us can really um, identify with that. So, Did you have a dream to find out what God wanted you to do? No, but I tested him many times, and he said, oh, Really? <laughs> and uh you know and he um you know he he gave me uh things that I know were uh you know in my life that were supernatural that uh for me you know they were astonishing for me and um and 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 that's a 
you know, it's kind of like, uh, well, you know, this is a, I, I, you know, this is a strange one, but I'll share it with you anyway. You know, um, when we lived in Montgomery, um, uh, the beauty supply business was, you know, and I wasn't really, I knew I had to do something else cause we were going down. I, I kind of could see that, uh, you know, uh, I was the last one to come in. So I was willing to go get another job. Well, I, I, uh, there was a, a, a job that through a friend that came available that, um, you know, um, the, uh, fella, uh, it was a good job, you know, a better job than I've ever had in my life, you know, from the time that at that point in time and, um, it, but it involved, uh, you know, going out and working South Alabama and blah, blah, blah. And, um, so, you know, I was in prayer and because I knew it was going to change, I was going to go on the road and be out of town at times. And, you know, all of a sudden, you know, the corporation, you know, they always say they're all family-oriented businesses, but they don't tell you it's not your family, it's their family. Yeah. And uh, But they're all family-oriented. And uh, so, you know, it was concerning me, and I was praying a lot. I was just, you know, pr- praying. I, I just, you know, I was just struggling with it, you know. And at that point in time, I had not been offered the job. I, I was being tested, and I was being this and that, and at the company, and blah blah blah, and then and and eventually, you know, I um, uh, had been uh, you know looking for a sign, you know, Lord, I don't want to do something that's not in Your will. I want you this to be something that's for me, you know, that You want me to do for whatever Your Your, your will is in my life, and and and. And I really anguished over it because I wanted the job because I wanted to make enough money to support my family and not live out my life in, you know, on Skid Row. So, not that I was on Skid Row, but I felt like it at times. But, um, you know, I was in my house and I was praying and I I just kind of had, I I, I don't know whether the influence of the the, the so-called Gideon's Fleece you know, and all of that kind of, you, you heard sermons about, you know, you know, putting out a fleece, you know, and te- not not testing God, but using that as a way of finding an answer and uh, to something. And in and, and my mind, for whatever reason, I came out with this mindset that, um, and let me back up a little bit. I had already met some of the guys that were involved in this business. And one of the guys that was highly uh, uh, the main guy out in the field that I would probably be working with had a boy and this boy had cancer and they don't know what happened to him. They don't know how he got cancer. You know, all they know that he came down with cancer and, you know, and that's all I heard. And, you know, I was just, you know, praying for him and I'd been praying for him, but you know, I, I, Donnie's boy, Donnie's boy. Cause I didn't know him and I didn't, nobody told me his name. So I guess I said, Lord, if you want me to take this job, then then I, I what I want confirmation for is the child that I've been praying for name, and it just come out of me, Jeremy. And I said, you know, that will be the sign. And so, you know, another week passed. They find, he called me up one day and said, hey, got some good news. And I'm thinking, oh, Lord, help me. And, uh, you know, so... He said, well, come over to the office. I went over there, and he said, you know, we're going to hire you, blah, blah, blah. And um, so we were walking out, and I stopped, and I said, uh, I asked him, I said, well, let me ask you a question. He goes, okay, what? And I said, what's Donnie's boy's name? He said, Jeremy. 
And I probably looked white as a sheet when he said that because he asked, he asked me, he said, is that, is that something wrong with that? <laughs> I said, no, 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 you, I don't think, you wouldn't understand. That's what I said to him. And uh, so I walked out, and, of course, when I was walking out, I was, you know, I was kind of just, you know, once again in a almost like an electrified state because it was shocking. I mean, to know the least. <laughs> oh, Lord. And, and here's the really funny part of the story. Y'all love this. this. Bud loves this part of it. And that is the fact that I went to work for two days initially. It was in the, it was in the winter. And, and it was real cold, and I went down to Greenville and worked with a guy, a couple, you know, rode around and, you know, lolly-dolly, lolly-day. But my, they, they wanted me, they sprung on me that, as far as I was concerned, that I, they needed me to go down and work out of Atmore for six months. <laughs> and I'm thinking, you know I do eat breakfast, right? And uh, so... Um, you know, I got geared up. You know, um, I went down to Evergreen. No, you had to start at the bottom to understand. Yeah, yeah, it was like you know, and so uh, I went to Evergreen and I spent the night in the motel there, and uh, I was going to get up in the morning and and meet them at, at Atmore and uh, the this crew, and it was Osmos, and they walked utility lines doing the. Oh. Poles and you know that longevity of the poles and grading them and treating them and on to the next series, carrying thirty pounds, and uh, so <laughs> anyway, you know I, it was it was like seventeen degrees and I'm thinking this is great, and uh, I met them down and I worked for the day down there and that night I came back to they where are we going and I was with two guys from Michigan that were training too. And we went way out in the boondocks. They didn't have a, a light anywhere. And to this little cabin out there. And, of course, there were two bedrooms. They had they had the bedrooms. I was out on the sofa. And I'm thinking, really? And so, um, and they're drinking. And I'm thinking, you know, this is going to be great, you know. And I, 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 anyway, I didn't sleep a wink. And I, by the end of the day, <laughs> by the end of the day, I had a new pair of boots. And I had a blister on my big toe about this big, you know. And so, and my car, my truck, at the time I didn't know the problem, but the plastic shroud on the fan motor when you went to a certain speed would kind of blow back into the fan, and it sounded like the engine was fixing to fall out. So I'm saying, Lord, this isn't going real good, you know. But before I got there, let me back up a little bit. Before I got there to that place, for some reason, I was with the Donnie McNeil, and on our way home after work, he stopped by his his house, his trailer there in the woods in Nowhere Land. And um, this little boy ran out to me, and I looked at him, and I said, you must be Jeremy. And he goes, yeah, how do you know? And I said, I don't know, I just know. You know, and so, you know, I, I'm not going to say, all I did is pray for him, you know. And that was the end of it. And I got back in and went to there the next morning. I realized this ain't going to work for me. And I got in my truck and I went home. And the whole way home, I'm sitting there thinking, oh, yeah, I'll do anything. You just call on me and I'll do anything, you know. And, you know, it was a long ride. And so, of course, when I got home, I was greeted by all the fanfare. What are you doing? 
doing back? I've just gone out to Gaffer's and bought an old wardrobe. No. But, uh, <laughs> no, that was a little add-on to the story, but uh, how, that's kind of how I, I, I kind of felt that way. <laughs> but anyway, you know, it was like, it was just over. It was over. And so uh, I should have I done a lot of things different, you know, in the whole thing. And I, and I didn't do it. And I felt terrible. And I was like, you know, really in depression almost, you know, over it. And so anyway, I saw I saw um, Donnie about two months later. And Donnie actually was the, you know, the president of this division out of Montgomery that the other guy's name was Donnie too, so that's a little confusing. But I saw him in the grocery store. And I asked him, I said, he, he looked, man, and we talked a little bit and, I probably made him look bad, and I know he didn't like it, but, you know, he uh, said, uh, I asked him, I said, well, look, let me ask you a question. How's Donnie's boy doing? He, he, he believe it or not, uh, they, I, they don't know. He just doesn't have cancer anymore. And I said, really? And so, anyway, you know, that was like, well, maybe, Lord, I, I, whatever it happens, you know, the Lord still worked no matter what I did or didn't do. Something happened there, and you you have to think that, you know, it's something that, you know, it wasn't a total failure, let me just put it like that, in my own life, because it really felt like it at the time. And believe it or not, there was another boy down here. This is like five years later, you know, and I met a guy from Atmore, and um, he was working next to me, and I was in the car with him, and I was sharing the you know, good news to him and talking to, to him about these various things. And, and I began to share this story with him because he was from Atmore. And uh, he said, hold on a second. Let me call my sister. And, you know, he gets his sister on the line and says, uh, Sis, yeah, um, didn't, didn't, didn't your boy play for Donnie McNeil's team? He goes, yeah. And he said, well, didn't his boy, did his boy have cancer? Yeah, but he doesn't have it anymore. He got over it. They don't know what happened. And that guy was like, he was flabbergasted, you know, because he was going to, you know, I was telling this story to him. He was going to catch me, he thought, you know. Uh, yeah. and, and, and it really, you know, made an impact in his life. And I think really, you know, it's like, you know, five years later, this thing still is having an effect. So you don't ever know. You know, it's not really about us. It's really just doing what God wants you to do and having faith. And, 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 and you know, we, we, we get about, you know, uh, oh, well, you know, I really, that's just so, well, let's lift him up, you know. And that's not what we're supposed to do. All these people being lifted up for God working through them, they're all the ones that ought to be on the floor. Because that's really the, the real truth. It's not what they're doing. It's really what the Spirit of God is doing through them. And he can use a, a, a guy on the street that's homeless to work through, and he deserves just as much honor as the guy that's sitting out here in these million-dollar homes, you know, with the big congregations. But, you know, anyway, I, I'll stop there because, you know, um, I know. It, it is an interesting story. But, you know, and I'm sure all of us can look back in our lives and find types of stories that we can, you know, think about. So, here I am. 
So let me let me say this. You know, when we talk about Rosh Hashanah, y'all all know that it's the Jewish New Year, correct? So, based on the fact that it's the Jewish New Year, then they believe that Rosh Hashanah, or the Feast of Trumpet, Trumpet is the first day of creation. Now, in some circles, they're going to say, no, no, the Feast of Trumpet, or Rosh Hashanah, or the first day of the first month, began when Adam was brought forth. I don't believe that. I believe that the first day of Tishrei was on the first day that God created the heavens and the earth. And I believe we see it right there in simplicity, right there in the beginning, because if you go back over to Genesis 1, you're going to see that God himself made a judgment between light and darkness. And he separated light and darkness. And he called the light what? Good. And the darkness, well, night, I guess. But, um, you know, and then we get this terminology throughout the entire Bible. We're children of light, the kingdom of light, children of disobedience, children of darkness. You know, you're getting that terminology and that separation right from the beginning. So for me, I believe that Rosh Hashanah was on day one. First judgment that God made when he created the heavens and the earth, there was chaos, or we see this void and this chaos concept presented, and out of the chaos, he creates order. And I believe that's the same pattern that we're seeing happening here in what we call the tribulation. Out of that, this chaos that's coming on the earth, out of it's going to come order, and the kingdom of light is going to break forth, so... As he said, he declared the uh, end from the beginning. So, moving along with that, that thought, you know, let's go to Daniel 7. Because Daniel 7 is a real uh, critical chapter in our discussion because it deals and it gives us something that puts it into a judicial mindset. And, you know, we, we, we think about, you know, we're talking about judgment, a day of judgment. If there's going to be a day, day of judgment, then, and we've all heard that, you know, when you appear before God and, you know, Jesus is going to be your adversary. I mean, you're the one that's going to, uh, you know, be your, uh, whatever you call him, Robert, uh, uh, the one that's going to basically claim you as his and the adversary is the devil. So... You know, kind of like a prosecutor and a defense attorney. But uh, Daniel 7, verse 9. And we just want to pick up a few things here. It says, And I watched till thrones were put in place. How many thrones? More than one. More than one. Okay. And the Ancient of Days was seated. And his garment was white as snow, and his hair as the head was like pure wool. His throne was a fiery flame and his wheels a burning fire. And a fiery stream issued and came forth from before him and a thousand thousand ministered to him. Ten thousand times ten thousand stood before him and the court was seated and the books were opened. And here we see that this is going to become 
a day of judgment. It's a court that is seated. The Ancient of Days is residing on the throne and like he's the judge. And then you see the word books. It's plural. It's not just a book. It's books. Okay? Now, you can, you know, let go of that, but you can go over to just to parallel this because it's worthy of paralleling it in Revelations 20, which we call the great white throne judgment. And verse 11... Revelations 20. And when it says, Then I sat, then I saw a great white throne, and him who sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, standing before God, and the books, plural, were opened. Not one book, but the books. More than one book. So, you know, the student says, well, what books are these? You know? If there are more than one books, do we have any, is there anything telling us about these books? And most of us can say, oh, well, yeah, you know, we know the book of life, right? The book of life. And I really like to say the book of, if I put the V in there, the book of the living. Life. Okay? The book of the living. And that doesn't mean you're just alive on the earth. And then there's the book of remembrance. Do you think that one's in the Bible? Do you think a book of remembrance is referenced in the Bible? Or do you think it's just Jewish good Jewish commentary? Do you know? No, don't know. And then the book of in a sense the wicked. So these three books are going to be. So Rosh Hashanah, what we read and studied last week, you know, where God is going to set, stand forth his staff and he's going to judge and he's going to either judge, you know, for life or he's going to judge that they're wicked and I always say, most people don't fall into this category and that's why we've been giving this time frame here because they're just sinners. They're still, they haven't repented for whatever reason. So they're all, and this goes for Israel too, they're going to go into this day of trouble, this time of trouble where God's going to manifest himself and so is the Antichrist and the work of the devil going to manifest himself. And you're going to decide which one are you going to, you know, this is the day of decision or the valley of decision, however you want to put it. But at the end of that time when we go to the second coming, then there's not going to be a second group of people. There's only going to be those that are in this book or those that are going to be recorded in the book of the wicked. That's it. And when we go into the messianic kingdom, 
We start out the messianic kingdom and there's nobody but the righteous in the messianic kingdom. And that's the living righteous like we are right now. The, the, the dead are the, those that took the mark, whatever you want to say. They're eight. They're over. Remember, they got eight at the Feast of Leviathan or they were consumed. I, you know, how one said, well, how about all the people in the world? Well, you know, there's going to be a lot of people that die. You know, the world is going to be a place of death, you know, within the tribulation. So, you know, uh, how God deals with somebody that's still maybe not down in the land, you know, at this great battle that's coming, well, I don't know. But I do know that he, he's not going into the messianic kingdom. So, you know, we'll leave that to see how God deals with the, these people outside the land and outside the, that, that great battle, you know, because I don't believe everybody in the world that has the mark is going to be in the battle of what most people would call Armageddon. Um, let's go to uh, Psalm 69, because, you know, I can say all this, but I always believe that, you know, you need to see it in the Bible. Psalm 69, verse 28. Well, let, uh, you know, I, I, you can read around these, but let them be blotted out of the book of the living and not be written with the righteous. So you can see the book of life or the book of the living is really going to be the ones that are righteous. This is the righteous book. We call it the book of the Lamb. And that's fine. Because it's what, he, he's a life-giving spirit and we're coming in through him. He's the door. He's the gate. And so the book of the living is the book of the righteous. You know, it's one and the same. You know, same as when we say the book of life. So... You know, let's go over and look at uh, Revelations 3, 5. Revelations 3, 5 says... Remember, <laughs> therefore, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works, for else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from the, its place unless you repent. Hmm. What does anybody else have? Three, five. Three, five. Oh, well. Excuse me. Three, five. Let's get to 3-5. Sound out there, oh, he who overcomes. That was just to validate the fact you got to repent. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So you see that really the reality is, and this is my opinion, I believe when we're born... Everybody's name is written in the book of life. You're given life. Now that that life is the nefesh, the soul, like Adam had, but you're given life. 
What you don't want to have happen is have your name blotted out of the book of life. Because if your name is taken out of the book of life, there's no really other place for it to go except here. You know, that's like a jail log. (laughs) So, you know, you don't want to have your name blotted out. You know, it's not the opposite of what some people would say, oh, your name, you need to get your name written in the book of life. No, my name's written in the book of life. What I don't want to have happen is it have it blotted out. You know, so a person that doesn't believe in Jesus Christ and he's still living, name is in the book of life, he's got life right now that's sacred. We read that from the beginning about he created all things. Bud said when... Jim does that deal there to stop. Finish your thought. Yeah.